words from the hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. You know, this morning, um, by the Spirit of God, I'm going to teach. And so the, the sermon is the relentless pursuit of faith. And I think one of the first questions, you know, you ask yourself when you hear a sermon like that is, why are we, what, what, why are we pursuing faith? You know, what is the thing? Why is it so critical? In Habakkuk, this is my, this is what you call the word of the Lord. As is written of me in the volume of the books, I come. Hallelujah. My real Bible, I think my husband has stolen it, so I had to bring one of my study Bibles. So I didn't bring it to intimidate you. Yeah. So in Habakkuk 2, he says, I will stand upon my watch, and I will set myself upon the tower, and I will watch to see what he will say unto me, and what I will answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain upon tables, that he may run that reads it. It says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the time it shall speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Is God even making sense at all? It says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. So this is Habakkuk here. A guy of you know many questions, a guy seeking to understand, you know, the heart of God, the will of God, the meaning of salvation. A guy seeking to understand how a person can please God. And so here Habakkuk begins to declare. He said, "I will set myself upon my watch, and I will set myself upon the tower." Why? Why am I going to stay in the place of persistency, in the place where? I wait on the Lord. Why will I not shift from the place of waiting? Why will I not shift from the place of watching? Why will I not shift from the place of considering God? So Habakkuk said, I'm going to set myself and I will wait. I'm going to set myself to watch. I'm going to set myself to hear. I'm going to set myself to understand. You see, one of the things I realized is that we've come into a generation, and I'm not talking about age. I'm talking about a season of the world. We have come into a generation where it's so hard to wait, where it's so hard to ask and receive. You see, the simple things of this Bible have become so complicated because of culture and tradition. Because we've come into a time where you plug into Google and say, what were the four things Abraham said to Isaac as we would Google, we'll pull it out. Where you don't have to study anymore. Where if you needed to preach a sermon, you can go and download it from Creflo Dollar's website or from anybody's website. Just write all the things that they taught and come and preach it. We've come into a generation where waiting and seeking and pondering and considering has become a luxury that many of us cannot afford. We just need it to happen quickly. It has to be done. But so here is Habakkuk, a guy 
who is having some kind of you know complication or complex the, the thoughts are you know complex in his mind but this is what he says he will do in the midst of the complexities of the time in the midst of the confusion of the time in the midst of the trouble in the midst of the pain in the midst of the weakness this is the thing i will do i will wait i will not rush i will not run to a solution I will not go to a friend and make it a gossip and a topic of conversation. I will not pass my pain and my burden over to others as though I'm anointing them with fresh oil. I will not speak like Job's foolish friends as though I have the ability to judge God and I now understand all his ways. He says, this is what I will do. I will set myself in my watch in the place where I have always met with God. I will not begin to despise the little things that brought me into the revelation of God. I will not begin to say they are no more powerful because somewhere along the line, I came into some kind of trouble because somewhere along the line, it began to feel like the things that I have done have failed me. He says, I will not walk away from them. I would not walk away from that fellowship. I would not walk away from that godly relationship. I would not walk away from the place of studying and praying and fasting because it seems like it has not worked so far. He says, I will stay in my watch and I will set myself upon the towers. I will set myself upon the high place, not because I want to promote myself, not because I want to preach a powerful sermon, not because I want to be exalted by people, people but because I want to be able to see God I will elevate myself beyond my weaknesses I will remove myself from the traditions of men I will separate myself from the cultures that weaken and blind the eyes of a generation why because I want to be able to see God clearly people will look at me and say what what is wrong with you why are you so spiritually distinguished why is it that you cannot attend my events why is it that you cannot do xyz why is it that you cannot do this business no, it is not because I don't think you are doing what is right. It is because there is a tower in the spirit upon which I need to position myself. And until I am positioned in that place, I cannot see because the one that is speaking to me is the most high. So even my earthly, physical, humanly positions are not even enough to elevate me to the point where I can get a clear perspective of who he is. But I will trust that somehow he will see the effort of my life and the effort of my spirit to seek him and he will help me find him he said this is what I would do I would not rush into conspiracy theories and even when I find out certain truths I would not think it is my responsibility to quickly share them I will watch he said he didn't say I will watch to hear the great things he will tell me he didn't say I will watch to hear the mighty things he will reveal to me. He didn't say I will hear, watch to hear him tell me about the revival that I have to hold or the move that is coming. He says I'm watching for one thing. To see how he will reprove me. How he will correct me. How he will tell me to align myself. To see how he will adjust my perspective. The correction that God is bringing to me. He said to see what he'll say to me and I will answer when I am reproved. He said also I need to know how to answer. Because it is not enough to hear the voice of God. 
Your response to the voice is what determines the product of the encounter. There are people who have dreams, visions, encounters. They study the word of God even deeper than many people. They pray for hours, yet their lives are unchanged because they have not learned the lesson of Habakkuk that it is in true partnership that the child is birthed. And the partnership with the spirit is not that the spirit speaks. It's not that the spirit impregnates you with his intentions, but that you know how to incubate and you can carry it to full birth. He says, I will watch to see so that I can answer. To every reproof of God, there is an answer that is demanded. It is the answer of change. It is the answer of adjustment. It is the answer of realignment. It is the answer of going deeper. It is the answer of broken relationships. It is the answer of new movements and a sojourning. There is an answer that you must give. And in Hebrews 11, the Bible began to describe the acts of certain men. And he was describing their answer to the word of the Lord. He began to say of certain people like Abraham. He says, Abraham was seeking for a city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. Abraham did not wake up seeking for a city. It was one day the Lord came to him in his father's house. He was comfortable. He was okay. His father was even a high priest. He was fine, but the Lord came to him and he set a journey in his heart. And he began, became a man that was moving left, right, and center, seeking and searching. He was answering to the reproof of God. The Bible began to speak of different people in scriptures who God put a question in their heart and their whole life became an answer to the question. A correction, a challenge. I was sharing with some people on my birthday about how the day before I was talking to God about something that I felt he, he hadn't done. I felt I didn't have a solution. You know, and I was like, God, it's so complicated. If I were to pray to you, what am I to say? There is nothing I want to say that is like a fresh revelation to you. You know what the circumstance is. You know what the issue is. So why do you want me to relieve my pain? I be why we tell God those people ain't like when they sad. Chosa. I say, why? You want me to come and be telling you every day about how broken I am. About how angry, how sad, how pain, oh. And then you will not say, oh yeah, take some more grace for the day. My grace is sufficient for you. Then tomorrow again, I'll wake up with a hole in my heart. Oh Lord, one more time. I'm like, why? He says to me, he said, this seems like the cycle. Because you've not come to, you have not started asking me the right questions. And you have not started setting your face to receive my reproof. He says, so until you do so, we'll be doing this intimacy banter. Where you will come and cry, I will give you grace, you will go back. He says, but the day you are ready to hear what I have to say, that is the day you begin to journey out of this and towards your solution. And I said, oh God, I'm one of those people that, you know, I set my heart to receive. And he looked at me, he said, no, you're wrong. Not in this case. He said, remember Habakkuk. He said, the one whose soul is lifted up is not upright in him. 
but the just shall live by faith. He said, Isi, every time you are unwilling to have faith in me, it is a sign of pride in yourself. I said, ah, God, I have been stripped of, I said, there's no pride here, oh God. You know that I have no reason to be proud. He said, my point exactly, so why are you being proud? <laughs> and I said, Lord, what does that mean? He said, your soul. He said, the pain. He said, every time you have a painful encounter, he said, there are two things that can come out of you. You can either come out of the other side more submitted, more humble, more gracious, more willing to receive God. He said, or oh, you can come out of the other side angry, agitated, vengeful, carrying your pain like a garment. He said, when you come out on the other side like that, he said, you become a tool in the hands of hell as opposed to becoming a messenger of the light of God. He says, you've allowed yourself, stay on the other side. He said, because every time you come to me, you are talking about the things that are, that are visible, as opposed to talking about the things that are invincible, as opposed to talking about my attributes, as opposed to talking about the eternalness, if there's a word like that, of your situation. You understand? As opposed to talking about the internalness of it, you are talking about the physical effect and the obvious situation. He said that is not faith. He says because faith is the substance of things hoped for. He said you don't have a hope anymore in this matter. He said so you don't have faith. He said without hope, there's no faith. He says what you are doing with me is just telling me the thing that already is. He says so I will not tell you what I need to tell you. And so I said to God, I said, God, okay, so my soul is lifted up in me. Uh-huh, because uh -huh, you, you go big person, many person not cry. You understand? A big person go pinch me, I go toss everything, they sweet me. I said, I have to tell you as it is now. He said, okay, are you done? I was like, yes, Lord, I'm done. He said, now let's begin to journey. And the Lord began to give me clear instructions. Number one, healing. And he said to me, you see, we are going to begin from the point where you believed you made a mistake. He says, now I need you to go back in prayer into that very point and forgive the issue of how many years ago that made those decisions. He says, as you forgive that issue, and as I was praying, and it was almost as though time collapsed in the place of prayer. And in a moment of prayer, I could see me of many years. And as I went into that place, it was almost as though that issue was real, the way Victor is sitting in front of me. And I began to have conversations with myself. And I said, Isi, you are forgiven. It's okay. You are young. There's not many things you know. You are bound to make mistakes. It is fine that you will decide like this, decide like this. So you hear, no problem, no day. It's all right. I got you. I'm in the future. I will make it right. Do you understand? And as I left that place, the Lord took me to another point in my life again. He said, here again, you made the wrong decisions like this, like, and you have, and he said to me, say, you have been, your biggest anger is against even yourself. That you did not do what was right for you. He said, but you see, you have made it about other things people play. He said, look, this is, he said, this is what is really paining you. And as I began to make that journey with the spirit, 
I found out that when it comes to the eternal absolute God, there is no such thing as time. Because I found out that when that issue was existing, she existed fully. The same way this issue is existing in God. And so when God wants to bring healing to me, God can break the barriers of time and move me into a distant past and cause healing and restoration to happen. And in the EC of today, that healing is appropriated unto me. And as I went through that by faith, partnering with the reproof of God and answering as he was asking me to answer, even though many of it seemed crazy, but I thought, what is this? What kind of prayer is this one? But yet I found the healing of God. So when you begin to hear the Bible say things like, oh, um, Abel offered a better sacrifice than his brother. And you are thinking, oh, how? A more acceptable. That means it wasn't like the brother's own was not acceptable at all, but his own was more acceptable. He says, because he did it by faith. That means it is certain kinds of sacrifice the Lord will ask you to make that will not make sense to you and it is by faith that you can receive the instruction and by faith you can journey into the solution of the instructions of God and so it is in that place that your life becomes a true and acceptable sacrifice because your life is lived by faith at that point in time I didn't understand the instructions of God I couldn't make sense of this kind of prayer but you see after that day it was as though a burden was lifted from me. It was as though I lost like 60 kg. And I feel so light. The solution has not come as I would know solution. But I feel like I have been delivered from the effect of the problem. And you see, that's not the end. That's the thing about God. Because the Bible says we go from faith to faith to faith to faith. And it says it is a revealing and when we go there, so it is revelation that causes you to grow in faith. Now, I began with Habakkuk because it ended in verse 4. It says, Behold, whose one whose soul is lifted up um, is not upright in him. It says, But the just shall live by faith. That means there is a life that is separated, secured, and allocated for the justified. But that life, he's able to access it only by faith. And so the question is, what is faith? I already quoted that scripture from Hebrews 11. It says that faith is the substance of the things that is hoped for, and it is the evidence of the things that are not seen. And so there are three wrong assumptions but that I want to touch about today. Today I'm talking about a lot of things in threes. Wrong assumptions about faith. You know, there's one that's, that people feel like faith is simply determination. I am determined to make it what I have faith in God. You understand? Even when you are preaching sermons about faith, your faith will be strong. And so when a man has faith, faith, it's not determination. You understand? Jesus did not shout to do any miracle. You understand? He didn't squeeze his face. As a matter of fact, Jesus will be doing miracles. Children will be running and grabbing his garment and playing with him. But the people will feel this is such an intense atmosphere of his presence. Everyone in this hall be quiet. Baby, stop crying. The Lord is here. <laughs> That's not faith. It is our distance from God that makes us need to... Because we are trying to stir up ourselves to apprehend. But that, is, that doesn't mean that's how it is. Do you understand? 
It's our humanity that is trying to break that barrier. And, but not only saying our faith be that. It's not determination. You can be determined and not have faith. It is number two. Another wrong assertion is that faith, you know, is without constraints, boundaries, and laws. So when a person has faith, you can believe God for anything. That's not true. The Bible says, if you ask anything, sorry, that is in accordance with the will of God. If you ask, as long as you are in God and God is in you, then you will pray and it will be answered. So we have a lot of pentirascals that have become broken, weak. Many have died. Some even lost their faith because they were not taught that faith is not without boundaries. Faith is not without constraints. Faith is not without government and governance. There are rules in the kingdom and there are certain things that must come into place for that which you believe to come to pass. In fact, that which you believe must be a product of that which you, are, you should believe for. It's not everything you wake up and say, hey, because no. And there are things that God does for one. It doesn't mean that he has to do it for you. We need to understand that. Enoch walked with God and he was not. So everybody that now walks with God wants to disappear. <laughs> do you get what I'm saying? <laughs> so Moses could have claimed it too. You understand? Even though Moses, oh, he died. But the Bible says his body was uh, taken away. We cannot have a cog. Now we we'll just see that they start the, the right, the next thing, the sentence is not complete. He was not. No. So it is the relationship with the Spirit and the revealing of God to you as an individual that should determine the boundaries of your faith. Because anything that is not done in faith is seen. But faith comes by hearing the word. So if you are doing it without a word, you are most likely in sin. So what is the word of the spirit to you? And the word is not go, come. That's not word. The word of God is life. The Bible says all things were made by him. He says the world's received frame by the word. So you cannot determine the word only by text or consonants or syllables. Sometimes the word is felt. The word is conceived. The word is perceived. The word is laid on you like a burden. He says if it is not a product of the word, it is impossible for it to birth faith. So faith is not without constraints. Another assumption we make is that, you know, faith negates pain, suffering, and shame. It's a lie. Let me talk him. Sometimes you even have faith to go through pain. Sometimes you need faith to bear shame. But you see, the problem is that we are so far from the mind of God that we evaluate situations wrongly. 
That's why the apostle said, this thing is nothing. I count it. It says it's a light affliction. Do you understand? It's, it's light. It's working for me. It, it, see this affliction? It's actually a work. Get it? It's serving me. Check you get? The way you will hire somebody and say, put be my administrator and the person is administrating. He said the affliction is working for me. So sometimes we are quick to banish our afflictions. So it does not do the work it's meant to do. So you, can, you do not receive the results you are meant to receive. Hence, no reward. You need to understand that the affliction sometimes is performing its duty. It's working. So because of a wrong evaluation system, we are not able to receive, apply faith when we should. Abraham was a man of faith. Yet he waited many years to receive that promise. But even the promise gone, 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 that he really wanted, it wasn't just Isaac. Abraham was too deep a man. He was looking for a city. Isaac was not the thing that was worrying Abraham. It was good to have, trust me, the way Abraham was. Even if God did not give him Isaac, he had Isaac. He knew he had Isaac. He was his heart was positioned to journey with God. So what he was searching for was the place where a man becomes a city. Where a man's life is filled with the expansive capacity of God. Where you begin to walk out your life in God like a king, like a general and like a government. So Abraham had a revelation of how the manifestation of Christ will be. So when Christ began to say, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against my ecclesia, Abraham understood that there is coming a people that would be in themselves like a government. And these people will have all kinds of things proceeding out of them. They will have an understanding of the policies of God. They will have an understanding of the workings of God. They will have an understanding of the ways of the heavens. These people in themselves would become like gates. They will become like authorities and powers. Abraham was searching for that life. Isaac was but a pathway to that which Abraham believed God for. So in the scene of Isaac was a certainty that that which he believed would come to pass. Many of us have made Isaac the promise of God or the fullness of the promise. Forgetting that every time a man manifests on the earth, Sometimes your life is like a gate that permits other people to walk into deeper realms of encounter with the Lord. Sometimes you are just like a parallel. Or sometimes you are just like, um, what do they call it? Like how Moses represented God and, you know, different Isaac also represented God. What do they call that thing in the Bible? Well, it's like a type really in scriptures. Like a pattern. You forget that your life is like a pattern. And so you take everything to heart. In Romans 1 verse 16 to 17. Okay, let me go there. We forget that our lives are like patterns. Our lives are like patterns. When God said to Abraham, give me your son. Your only son, the one whom thou lovest. That was the first time the word love was used in the Bible. That is to tell you the kind of life Abraham had. 
with God, the kind of man that he was. And then we see in the New Testament, he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But he said to Abraham, give me your son, the one whom you love. So Abraham began this whole journey of showing creation what God looks like. Sometimes you deprive yourself of an opportunity to teach all of creation the nature of God because you step away from opportunities to walk in faith. When God said that to Abraham, Abraham said, hey, sure, why not? And Abraham, the Bible says he received Christ in a figure, in a way, in a type. That's what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. How did he receive Christ in a type? Because he was certain that Isaac was going to resurrect. How was he certain? Because the Lord had promised him that in thy seed, will all the, so if you kill the seed, how will I get the harvest? So Abraham knew that even if he kills this child, he will resurrect him because he has made a promise and his promises never fail. So when he was leaving the two servants at the foot of the mountain, he said to them, he said, I and the lad, we will go and make a sacrifice and we will return to you. So that means Abraham knew Isaac was going to come back. In that moment of believing the promise of God, the Bible says Abraham received Christ. So this is how he could be saved, even though the lamb had not been slain. Faith. Many times God is giving us the same opportunity. He's saying take the Isaac and slay him. He's asking you to walk in depths of forgiveness. Walk in depths of compassion. Walk in depths of um, being liberal in terms of even your giving. And you're unable to, you're unwilling to. And you lose the opportunities to represent God in a generation. When I say represent God, I'm not talking about, you know, for people to say, oh, she's born again. No. I'm talking about representing God in a generation in terms of the records and the archives of the heavens. You lose the opportunity. Because you see, what we are reading right now is the first release version. There is an expanded version of scriptures we'll read in heaven. And in that expanded version, you will hear things like, and there was a woman called Isi. And you see all these rappings of Pastor Mo, you will see it in that expanded version. Honestly. Honestly. We lose the opportunity for stuff like that. Because we tell ourselves, mm, this cannot be God. How will he tell me to kill Isaac? Do you think when Abraham heard the instruction, it was, he was smiling and saying, for surely I know. You can have faith and be crying. Because it would have, if he had to kill Isaac, it would hurt him to put, put a knife through his throat. There's no way to not grieve any father's heart. Even if you know the son will be brought back. God forbid now they tell me oh, one of your children has fallen from 10 story. Even if I know the child will come, the moment I see the body on the floor, I'm sure I will first cry. But inside that tears, when Jesus was going to raise Lazarus, the Bible says he cried. Why? He could feel the pain, but he did not change the faith. So you see, God it's not asking you to let go of your humanity. 
But he's telling you that in the midst of it, allow your divinity shine brightest and more powerfully. So Abraham was able to push through it and he took his son. You know, when they told him, oh, who? He said, God will provide a lamp. And you see, in Abraham doing those things, that same mountain became the mount upon which Jesus was slain thousands of years later. That same mountain was the mount that was eventually called Golgotha, where Jesus was slain. Mount Orias. Sometimes, what you don't know is about that upon the mountain of your greatest, most painful, confusing situation is where another generation's liberation will come from. Upon the mountain of your faith is where a portal is open in heaven so that the will of God, the goodness of God can stream into the earth. If you evaluate your life and the power and the goodness of God in your life just from the ease that you experience, you will miss God and you will miss faith. He says, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives. He said, but this is the peace I'm giving to you. Let not your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. That means this peace that he's giving to you is the peace that you get in the midst of trouble. Because you don't tell a person, don't let your heart be troubled if there's no reason for his heart to be troubled. You don't tell a person, don't be afraid if there's no reason for the person to be afraid. So that means God's peace, faith, is not removing the troubling and the fearful situations. Is that in the midst of it, you are able to take a different position. There may be somebody here today. You are talented at running. It's a gift. Once something pains you, you don't run. Once it's not easy, put your shoe. You have gone. You have disguised your race as faith. And you have disguised it as peace. Me, I don't like trouble. Mm, I don't like issues. You know, I'm just the kind of person. Do you know you don't know yourself? Yeah. There's something I'm writing that God is teaching me. And it's called, let me introduce you to yourself. How can you lock yourself up in a standard? You, who is a God. Do you know the abilities that gods have? You can be anything you want to be. The day you decide to overcome a struggle, by the grace and the spirit of God, you can overcome it. I'm not kidding. Isaac said to Esau, Esau, your problem is not the loss of the blessing. Your problem is a lack of stewardship. You don't know how to hold things to your chest. Esau, you are lege lege. You don't know how to fight for things. You don't know how to contend for destiny issues and destiny matters. You don't know how to evaluate when destiny is looking at you. If they cost you small, Esau, you don't run. If they insult you small, you have gone, Esau. He said, that's your problem. It's not the blessing. Why was God never angry with Jacob 
if you look at it from human eyes, what he did was a bad thing. Ah, uh-uh, your own brother. It's not fair. Human beings, very wicked people. Humanity. My God was looking at Jacob, saying, high five, high five, my guy. I like you, Jacob. Yes, sir. God is like, I like people that they used to carry my matter very seriously. When they hear that God is in a thing, they black out every other thing. They focus on exactly why they are there and what they've come to get. Jacob, I will write a book about Jacob. We have this, we call redeeming Jacob. We've insulted that guy, but that guy is one of the most powerful people in scriptures. And Isaac said to him, Esau, in the day that you become restless, the yoke will be broken from your shoulder. He said, your problem is that you are at ease. Everything in life has to be easy and simple and peaceful. No stress. He said, okay, now he saw this peace. What has he brought to you? I don't like fighting. See where you're there now. Do you understand? He said, so some days you have to learn how to fight. You have to learn godly confrontation. You have to strengthen and sharpen your horn like the horn of a unicorn. He said, because what you are dealing with is an aggressive spirit. You don't deal with it by just, you know, chilling. And so Jesus was explaining to them that peace is not the same thing as ease. Those are two different things. You can't have peace and yet your boat will be shaking like this. Every time I see you, today you are a professor, tomorrow you are doing a newscaster, next tomorrow you are a business mogul. You say, which one? I'm, I'm just walking in the peace of the Holy Ghost. You say, but you know, your life don't look all that peaceful. Trust me, I'm in peace. Because peace is not ease, it's not stability. And the way we even evaluate is different from the way God sees it. What if God chooses to use your life as a type of seven things before you die? You will hold the hand of God and say, no, it doesn't look good. Let me teach you how these things are done, Lord. You understand? There's a process and there's a system to arrive in that greatness. Your life is a type. Many of us, we miss it because we don't understand what faith is. I know I need to round up now, so I'm trying to figure out which one to cut out. You know, um, talking about your life is a type. There are three things in my life that I've had to exercise faith the most. Number one, my calling, my marriage, and the birthing of a child. And in these three areas, I had to learn, relearn, and I'm still learning God. In my calling... I had to understand that the doctrine of you are called to this one thing is not necessarily true. So I'm called to be a prayer warrior. 
But the question is, hey, what is the purpose of prayer? What if God wants to birth other things after I pray? Will I be able to receive it? How does it expand the kingdom? And what is the substance that comes as a product of that prayer? So you will find people who are powerful intercessors. But every other thing is falling apart. Because they don't understand that in God and in the kingdom, the kingdom is like an interconnected matrix of different variables. And so when the Bible says you go from faith to faith, basically what he's saying is that you go from understanding to understanding of the different variables. So all your life you are connecting them together. And in the day you meet with Christ, you, you, it's like you'll be stepping back and you'll be viewing the entire matrix and you'll come into full understanding. I had to learn it because at different times I struggled. I struggled to be a pastor. And I thought, surely, you know, this calling is hard, but I will make it, Victor. At one point I realized, that, ah, it's like, maybe this is not exactly my calling. And then I said, maybe I'm called to be an author. And then I wrote one book. And then I have like 12 books on my computer. Some are finished, some are not finished. But then I am struggling in the writing. And I think perhaps, maybe it's not an author. I'm called to be a teacher. And then I enter. And I teach. Awaken to your purpose. Becoming a person of influence. The mantle of Deborah. I teach, I teach, and I have many curriculums, but then I am still struggling. And I say, maybe it's not teacher, perhaps I'm an apostle. <laughs> With a T, please. You understand? And you know, I do all the things that apostles do, and then I'm like, ah, oh, this apostolic thing I not do. And then one day I woke up and I heard that they say I'm a prophet. I said, oh, wow, whoa. <laughs> that's not bad either. You know, we can perhaps take it on. You know, and I do the prophet, I say, oh, I beg, I beg. <laughs> I know fit, I know be prophet, I bear cannot go the line. You understand? <laughs> and then I'm like, please. And then one day God said to me, He said, Who are you? You understand? And I said, God, the only thing that I know is that I love you. And I don't ever want to lose you. And I want to obey you. I want to be right with you. I said, God, this is the one thing I know is true. And he said, then be that. Simply be that. He said, now have faith to express me in each season as I show you myself. Don't allow yourself to be constrained by tradition, by religion, by typologies. He said, just have faith. And in that moment, I realized it was hardest to break the norm than to obey God when it came to religion. I realized that my greatest constraint has not been, um, it has not been living in these roles, but it has been actually saying, you know what, the Lord doesn't want me to be that. Or this is how I want to preach. Oh, this is what I want to do in each season. That was harder than anything else. You may be looking at me today. 
And your walk with God has been like a pendulum. Because you have been seeking for definition as opposed to seeking for a journey. You have been waiting for acknowledgement, a pulpit. You have been waiting for endorsement as opposed to giving yourself and leaning into the leadings of the Spirit. Many of us have lost relationships. We have lost partnerships with ministries because we are afraid that something big was about to be laid on us. Ah, please, me, I'm not a pastor. I'm running away. Who says you have to be for the rest of your life? If that is what the journey requires at the moment, do it. Do it. One day, God can call you to something else. So you find out that you spent 10 years running, never doing anything. Because in those 10 years, you were seeking for the thing that you believe is what you are. But all the opportunities of faith that were laid, you never took anyone. Faith. In my marriage, I struggled. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, many things can be wrong, but... I mean, meals and bones cannot be wrong. There were so many additions. Something must be right about it. You understand? Many things can be wrong, but I mean, wrong come. There must be something right there. When, you know, and he runs to her. You understand? And he must have big chest. You understand? They don't used to use any uh, guys. Mm. Pictures, yeah, this is to have swagger, deep voice, yeah, you know. And then as she melts, her knees buckle. Forget to, every mother talks to my leg, they're strong for God. And I stand my tower and I watch how she respond. Less I am rebuked, you understand? So I said to myself, I said, this, this is not adding up. You get? And then I've heard sermons about how the man is powerful. He's the leader. He should know everything. He's the priest of the home. Auntie, I was the priestess for a long time. It means I don't marry. It doesn't change the fact that that can be. But the distance between what should be and what is, is my journey of faith. That's my journey of faith. I struggled. Like many of us sitting here. There are areas that are not adding up. So you spend time, which is a gift from God, the eternal one. You spend time complaining, wailing, grieving over the things that you should simply enter into and journey through by faith. When a person stands and talks for two hours and says, you know, I'm still getting into my notes. And it's not like the person will say rubbish, but they were saying things. You understand that it is not sense or just a human being. It's a journey that is speaking. And that journey happens by taking the opportunities given by God. Many times I throw myself into the deep. The things I want to run away from, I run towards them. 
as long as there's something in me that says run, and I don't mean the warning of God, but I mean the warning of my flesh. When my flesh is saying run, run, hmm, hmm, as you are seeing this says, and I so, that I so, just run, no. That's the day I will go closest. Because I tell myself, I must conquer. Conquer. Because the flesh can never want you to righteousness. It can never want you to holiness. Never. That's not his work. Its work is like that tree of the knowledge and good and evil in the garden. It tests you. To try you. To see if you are worthy of the authority that God wants to place on you. So your ability to not choose self, but to choose God over and over again is what makes you powerful. Is what makes you powerful. Choosing God is not easy, no matter what anybody tells you. It will be easy when you come into the eternal states that you are meant to be, but as long as you are in this flesh, it's not easy. The Bible says in Gethsemane, Jesus was willing. His sweat turned to blood. It's actually a medical state of deep distress. And he says, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass me by. He says, but nonetheless, your will be done, not mine. That means Jesus knew, but just it's not like, let me, it's hard, Lord. As long as you're in the flesh, it's hard. But you see, as long as you keep choosing God over and over again, you grow in power, you grow in grace, you grow in wisdom, you grow in authority. So when he says, the just shall live by faith, you see, this is what he's talking about. Part of the word, that, that word live, when he says the just shall live, that word live actually speaks about a certain liveliness. He says the liveliness you will get as a believer will come only when you are living by faith. You see that liveliness, that joy. So that's when you miss Pastor Mo, you think to yourself, I'm sure this man's life is perfect. Yeah. Because it makes no sense. Why would somebody be smiling 247? <laughs> Trust that. It, it, it doesn't add up actually. But I'm sure his life is not perfect in the sense that you know perfection. But his life is also perfect in the sense of the satisfaction that comes from the knowledge of the presence of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's faith. That's how the justified lives. The justified does not live by their bank account. The justified does not pick friends based on connections. No. The justified does not determine where to go based on opportunities. The justified lives by faith. By faith. I wrap up because we have to go. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jews first and then for the Greeks. For in the righteousness of God, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For it is written, the just shall live by faith. You know, I, Habakkuk was the one that first coined it. And then it was said three times in the New Testament, Romans, Galatians, and I think Hebrews. 
Habakkuk, Old Testament saints. What did he know about faith? Do you understand what I'm saying? But the guy was already tapping into something. And then he says, I'm not afraid of the, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. If there's anything you forget today, don't forget this thing I'm telling you. Stick to the text. You see this Bible? You cannot circumvent it and arrive at power. You cannot go around it and arrive at strength. You have to open it. Study it. Receive it. Pray it. Mutter it. Say it. Cry it out. Play it in your room. You cannot live outside of the word. The word is your life. It's like the fuel to this spiritual life we have been called to. So when I hear people say certain things, I hear their word level. I'm not saying fake it till you make it. That's not Christianity. But believe it till you become it. Keep saying it over and over again. The Bible declares. And don't, scriptures that are declared out of context will never produce results. And that's the problem many of us have. Resist the devil and he shall flee for you. I resist you in the name of Jesus. I resist you because Jesus said, If I resist you, he will flee for me. He said, No, submit yourself now to God. Submit first, then resist next. So if you keep saying it out of context, it will never produce power. But the problem with context is that you need big picture. And big picture would only come from studying. You need to take back the pillars of your faith. Listen, no, people died for this thing. And people are still dying for it. That's how true it is. That's how true. So if you are here and your Christianity is still floating like butterfly, some days it comes, some days you can't find it. You understand? Another example is that your Christianity is like bingo. Because there is the kind of dog you call Duchess, and there's the kind of girl that they call Aki. You understand? If your dog is like Aki or Jumbo, is bingo. That's the kind of dog I'm talking about. Those kind of dogs, they're not the stay house. Mark my word. You understand? Even if you chain it to this place, they have skills. They're like criminals. They will do the neck like, do the neck like, do the neck like this. Bam! They don't escape. Before you come back, they don't stand near the chain. Your thing say they're still there. Bingo. So some people's Christianity is like bingo. So they bingo, they has they shut the back. It go the back. Once anybody enters, so that you know, say they there. Shake again. It the back. The next thing for night. When our mobas are shooting, don't they hear bingo? You get never bingo for what? One day. We had bingo once in my house. This dog, honestly, I gave it my heart. Because I thought there is yet hope for a bingo if it be Raz. For at the scent of pedigree charm, 
he shall live again. But I did not understand that wired into bingo is the life of a rascal. He takes care of himself. On this faithful day, thieves came to our house. As we were running, who was leading the way? Bingo. He was in front. All of us, I said, he did pass everybody, ran. We did not see this dog until the next day around 12 p.m. Police had come, taken reports, done everything. Bingo came back. <laughs> this is a true life story I'm telling you. Ask yourself, is your Christianity a bingo? Or is it like a duchess? A friend that sticks closer than a brother, a dog, a man's best friend. That's not for bingo. Bingo is a hustler. If you do me well, I do you well. Knowing fully well that you have a calabar friend, bingo they calculate. Did they in this guy verse if he send me? So bingo is all about organizing himself. That's how some people's Christianity is. Did they corona his the earth they backslide? They say, oh, well, let's take care of ourselves. Oh. <laughs> The judge shall live by faith. Because I have faith that this day, if I do the right things now, it will arrange. No. So people's Christianity is fleeting. There's no substance. It doesn't even have substance to you. I'm not talking about the judgment of a pastor. To you. It's not a life. A life of conviction burning inside you. A life that you cannot shake off. A fire, knowledge of God. Until it is in you. But the way it comes, through the gospel. Through the gospel. Through the gospel. Go back to the Bible. Go back to the word. Go back to studying. Create for yourself an atmosphere of the word. It is your responsibility your responsibility. Whenever I move into a new house, one thing I don't negotiate is a study. It must happen. I will not have a closet space and not have a prayer room. It will never happen. For what? Clothes will cover my physical body, but prayer will cover my shame. It will give me body in the realm of the spirit and power. I don't, it's not, it's non-negotiable. We must have a place of encounter. That room that when I enter it, I shut the world behind me. It prepares me to receive the word. Go back to that if you are listening to me. Because the apostle said it is the power of God unto salvation to the people who believe. There is a salvation that brings you into the kingdom. But there is the one you experience from faith to faith. It is through the gospel. Go back and study. We'll finish this another day. Um, we'll do part two. Because, you know, I didn't touch my notes. Yeah. However, let's pray. Your life. When Ruth was following Naomi, she didn't know that that her action of faith 
was going to become part of the reasons why Christ could come into this world. Apart from the fact that, you know, she became among the lineage, Boaz, her husband that she married. But Boaz represented Christ, the Redeemer. You know, and she herself represented the church. She didn't understand that her life was an example. Was an example. Was someday going to be preached with. You do the things you do today because you have no idea that there is an audience watching you from heaven. Your every move, your every decision. I want you to pray for yourself today and ask the Lord to open you up. Open you up to a journey with Him. Ask the Lord to begin to deal with your appetites. Ask the Lord to help you to desire spiritual things. Desire it more and more, deeper and deeper. You can never be too spiritual for such prayers. To desire God, to hunger for Him more. Ask Him that He will help your, your, your decisions to not be driven by your physical desires, but by your spiritual hunger. Ask Him that He will give you a fresh ability to cry out to Him. That let your cry not be um, a product of, you know, what you want people to see, what you want people to know. But let it be a product of a true passion and a desire for the Spirit. Ask the Lord to give you a voice, a voice, a voice, a voice in the realm of the Spirit. A voice that opens the heavens. A voice that flings open the doors to His throne room. Thanks for listening to this message from the Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family, and touch the world. Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at hello at ecclesiahills.org.